Hi, everyone. Before we get into today's interview, just wanted to drop a little reminder to stay up to date with all the latest episodes of On the Margin. You can subscribe to the BlockWorks Background YouTube. Just go up there, just click the little uh, subscribe button, or you can click the links at the top of this episode. It'll take you over to Apple, Spotify, whatever your preferred platform is. Just subscribe there. If you could, leave a rating and review. Really appreciate it. All right, on with the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Today, I'm joined, as always, by my buoyant co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. And I'm calling you buoyant today because you have you always have positive vibes. and You drag my energy up even when I'm feeling a little, little slow. So that's, that's I, what I'm I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So I'll, I'll buoy right up to the top here. We'll, uh, well, you know, <laughs> you have the Bitcoin orange pants on today. And the sock reveal is the mining. Now, these are old. Uh, I'm having, I'm sorry, not mining, having. They're the old having from 2020. So my friends at Mount Sox do have to get me one for 2024. But it seems like everything related to Bitcoin is about the having. It's like our last hope, like in Star Wars. You're, you're my only hope, Obi-Wan. So um, although it's interesting, I guess today there's me announcement of an approval for the ETH Futures ETF. Mm-hmm. You talk about that. Um, and then, and they punted on all of the Bitcoin uh, spot ETFs. So, yeah, interesting stuff. But let's go macro and then we'll, we'll eventually wind our way back to, to crypto. Yeah, let's. So, congratulations to Valkyrie for getting the first ETH Futures approval. So, we're going to be talking about that later in the show. The where I wanted to start today was talking a little bit about the macro, and I think the big story right now is in longer term yields. So, what's been going on for the course last couple of weeks? We've covered it on the show. Is a relatively steep rise in the long end of the curve, which is generally referred to as a bear market steepener uh, or a bear steepener bear rather. Steep. So, yep. bear bear steepener being when yields on the long end are rising faster than the short end, as opposed to a bull steepener where there's a similar dynamic, but it's because the front end rates are being yanked down by the Federal Reserve um, when they're trying to stimulate demand, hence the the bull steepener. So my, my colleague Jack Farley actually wrote a really great newsletter on this. And he, he called into, he just pointed out and underlined how unique this particular steepener is and how odd <laughs> this uh, this how odd it is what we're what we're basically seeing. Yeah. So, um, so while bear market steepening itself is 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 somewhat rare, I'm actually quoting from Jack here. Bear steepening, bear steepening during a prolonged 200 day bond bear market in bonds is more unusual, and a quadruple bear market steepener uh, that has continued to steepen on a rolling five, 60 day, and 200 day basis in the midst of a prolonged bond bear market is rarer still. So, what makes it a quadruple bear inverted steepener? God, I gotta love these these names that we give these things. Is that it's it's very odd, right? For the for a steepener to be going, bear steepener to be going on for this long, it's even more odd to be going on when the yield curve is inverted. And the last time that this was seen, mostly, I can actually share my screen for a little chart here, was during the Volcker era. And so you can kind of make of that what you will. But uh, you know, either way, the reverberations of duration selling off here, I, I feel like is going to have an impact. Mark, what, what do you think about all this? Look, I, I think it's it's uh, summed up really nicely. Um, you know, I love the guys at, at Cross Border Capital. Uh, I've known them for for a long, yeah, long time, and and you know, I have this. I didn't even hashtag it right. Liquidity drives markets. Liquidity is is everything in markets, and uh, I love their quote here. I'll just, I'll, I mean, I'll literally just just read the quote. Absolutely no way. U.S. yields are rising because of faster GDP. Okay, that that's pretty definitive because you know one of the things we've talked about over the last couple of weeks is in a scenario where interest rates rise because they're anticipating stronger economic growth, faster recovery, uh, high rising GDP. That's actually not necessarily bad. But if I agree, if rates are rising. Because there's no one to buy the bonds. That's bad. And, and then here's the, the other weird thing. If you look at the probability, uh, and I'll quote the uh, Isabel.net guys, and they're great as well. They might be gals. I, when I say guys, I mean guys and gals. I don't, I don't actually mean guys. We have no you plural. 
Yeah. That's I why y'all is such a great I word. Know. I, and, I, what, what an oversight. What an oversight to not include you plural. Unbelievable. It, it, I continue. You know what? That's, that's true. And, and use guys makes me sounds like I'm Joyzy, which I am not. So yeah, but, but you plural. All right. So it's just you plural. Um, the you plural at uh, Isabel.net. Uh, the probability of a U.S. recession in 12 months calculated from the yield curve stands at 67.6%. Now, that's that's down from 90%, but but it's still really high. And yet, nobody is talking about recession. No, I mean, you know, the Fed has declared the risk uh, kaput. Um, so I think it's a really interesting dynamic in that if we have such a high probability of recession, Growth isn't rising quickly. We just had another downward revision. It was it was minor, but it's still a downward revision to GDP. So it ain't that. And so the only explanation would be lack of demand, right? When there's lack of demand for bonds, the pri- the price has to. I mean, I'm, let's get this right. Yields have to rise to attract buyers when there's no demand. So. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what's happening, I think. Yeah, I think you're I think you're most likely right about that. Now, the conclusion, you know, uh, the conclude what Jack pointed out here in this newsletter is basically, I mean, it makes sense. The US government has flooded the market with long duration bonds. You know, eventually we're gonna need to find a new equilibrium. Um, although when this has happened in the past, uh, this did point uh, point to at least a short-term peak in terms of yields. The the tenure today, uh, at, at the time of our recording here, is just over four and a half percent. But it did it crossed four point six seven percent, kind of an intraday high within the week. Um, Nick Glinsman, again, going to give a shout out who, who did a very good job predicting this. Yeah, I mean, it's just I, I'm, I'm reminded again of this quote that we've brought up here on on this on the show a couple of times, but it's the Stan Druckenmiller you know, <laughs> trades 2001 horribly, you know, uh, does, a, does a good job trading tech, gets FOMO, goes back in at the top, loses a bundle, goes to Africa, has a safari, you know, takes himself away from the computer screen for a couple of days, returns. And what is the setup? The setup is, mark, you know, NASDAQ down 50% or something like that. The, uh, but still, but still high. The, Oil is go- oil's rising, dollar rising, yields rising. And what do we have today? We, ha- we just have, it is the exact same setup that he talks about. And again, no, this is literally one data point, so don't read too much into this. It's just yeah. oil rising, dollar rising, yields rising. Well, and, and oil rising, again, is, is rising for all the wrong reasons, right? Mm. It's rising for... Uh, political means in the sense that uh, there's not rising demand. I mean, demand has recovered nicely. It, it, it has, but it's not accelerating. And what you've got is Saudi saying, we really don't care anymore about this deal that we struck with y'all. Uh, there, there's a good you plural, the, the Southern version, the y'all. So I, I can cross, yeah. you know, Northern and Southern um, <laughs> since I live in Chapel Hill, 25 years. Can you believe that? I've lived down here 25 years. Um, so the oil, I think, is is going to hit triple digits. I, I think the Saudis are intent on floating some more of, of Aramco and they want to maximize the money in their pocket. And they do have full control at this point because there's not enough demand to suck up their um, supply changes. So, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be an interesting challenge. And uh, I let me restate that. It's the other way. The demand is solid, right? We're not in a recession. We're not, we're not having falling uh Demand and therefore, when they cut, which is what they said they were going to do unilaterally, uh, then prices are going to rise. And and then you got the bots and and all that that come in and and the futures market, which will, again we will talk about futures market later. Futures market allows manipulation of price, and that has happened in the oil market for decades, gold market for decades. So same kind of kind of thing happening. Hey, by the way, I mean 
you know, first fall show since the equinox last last week, and and we are we are looking stylish in our you know, we are looking green. Good. Wow, yeah. For those of you, th- this is just the extra effort that you can expect from viewing on the margin. Mark and I are matching today, so you're welcome. Yeah, post equinox, we decided to coordinate wow. here. Just that extra little bit of work that yeah, makes exactly. it worth it. Tuning exactly. in on a Saturday, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I I mean help. Mark, translate this for like, what does this mean when when long end yields are, are rising this rapidly? I I mean, I mean, what's the impact here on on asset prices? And I think one of the dynamics that we've talked about a little bit on this show is that for a large portion of this year, the bond market and the stock market have been saying two different things. Now, if you exclude the magnificent seven, the stock market and the bond market are basically saying the same thing. Yes, but yes, yeah, but but. Where do we go from here? Because in addition to this, right? So duration selling off, maybe finding some new equilibrium where people are willing to step in and buy treasuries. The the other dynamic that you have here is again, it's oil rising, and that is just going to be tough for that's that is first of all, I would guess politically that's not what the Biden administration wants to see before an election. We're also probably going to have a government shutdown. Um, and what it's doing is it's dragging. CPI forecasts up uh, for yeah. for 2024. Yeah. So here, I'm going to show, again, shout out Daily Shot. We should just talk to these guys about putting together an official segment on the show. I read their stuff. So the basically what, what you've seen here is actually from starting from all the way back in 2022, the headline uh, CPI forecast for 2024 has been going up and up and up. Recently, it's the restriction in oil supply that's driving that. So Again, funny, funny to see here. Bad monetary and fiscal policy at five and ten percent. On a short time frame, I might agree with that. On a longer term horizon, I would probably take issue with how they've weighted this. And then there's the restriction of, of oil <laughs> here. Um, so, and then the FOMC still sees inflation risks skewed to the upside. And this is probably where, yeah, I mean, I think the whole market broadly agrees with that. Um, I, I think that. The, the general consensus is that the work isn't quite done yet on inflation. Yeah. Again, um, I'm going to take the, uh, I'm going to take the under uh, on okay. the I word in that what we're seeing is simple manipulation of oil prices to maximize revenues to the Saudis. I mean, that, that's all that is. And that's, that's what's being reflected in quote unquote CPI. And and yeah, that's bad for the incumbents in government. Um, super bad for the president, right? I mean, there's a perfect X. I mean, a perfect inverse correlation between gas prices at the pump and presidential popularity. I mean, it's absolutely flawless connection. Uh, anything over $2, your popularity starts to go down. Over $3, you're in trouble. And four bucks, forget about it. I mean, it's ugly. So if you can get below a dollar, I mean, you get elected no matter what you do. It's like the old Trump line, shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and get away with it. Well, yeah, if, if gas prices are below a dollar, you can do whatever you want. Um, so I'm, I, I, you know how I feel about this. I don't, I don't think we have inflation. Now, the one, the one thing that, that I have to, you know, correct myself on, I guess, um, it's almost like talking in a third person. It's ridiculous. But is... Back to cross-border, liquidity is actually contracting. Contracting M2 went down for the first time in 90 plus years. I mean, actually contracted. So that is not something we've lived with in the past century, obviously. And, uh, I th- and so my whole point on it's just currency devaluation, stupid. It's not inflation, not you stupid, but the world's stupid. Um, I I still believe that, right? I still believe what we're seeing is, is the leftover effects from the idiotic, you know, modern monetary theory pump of money supply post lockdowns. And I think I think that, that that's what the oil dynamic is. Everything else that that you see starting to to go down. I mean, shipping rates and you know commodity prices are not are not they're not rising the way people thought they would. And that 
that ratio of financial assets to real assets is stubbornly stuck down at the trough. You know, we've been, everyone's been predicting for two years this, this great rally in, in commodities over financial assets, and it, it really hasn't, hasn't happened. Uh, and I think it's because the growth is moribund, right? We're, we're growing two-ish percent if we're lucky, and that is stall speed, right? That's not fast economic growth. So, you know, some other stuff that's happening, bankruptcies just surged to their highest level other than the global financial crisis in the last 40 years. Never yeah, been I more bankruptcies. That. And, and that's corporate and personal. So uh, that's, that's ugly. Banks are getting slaughtered on their mm. balance sheets. I mean, slaughtered. Look, TLT, the long bond uh, ETF, is down almost 10% year to date. And you pointed out last week, you know, the peak to trough is closer to 20% because it was up smartly in the first quarter. The ag, right? The ag, which has not got a lot of duration in it, the ag index, AGG, uh, is down about 3%. Never in 140 years have you had back-to-back negative years in the bond market. So think about all these 60-40 portfolios, all these target date funds, all these bank portfolios loaded to the gills with, with bonds because they were forced, literally forced, not at gunpoint, but almost to, to buy the bonds because no one else was buying them. Big losses everywhere. And I think it's starting to, to foment a little bit of fear. And... That can turn negative. And look, look at the stock market. Stock market's down meaningfully. Uh, even the Magnificent Seven, in fact, led by the Magnificent Seven. I mean, what I love to pick on, which has not been fun to pick on because it's just been smacking me in the head with, with the two by four. But NVIDIA, you know, it's down 20% off the high. And, you know, that's $200 billion, which is crazy. You think about it. And... Um, I, I think that's going to continue. I, I, I really do. I think, you know, the 493 are flat for the year. The Magnificent Seven are still up 30-something percent, I think, 36, 37, something like that. Um, I think that could get all the way back to flat. I think, yeah, I think you could be right. I, I just, I, the, the, the story, the headline of this year for me, as many of you listening to the shows, it's been a waiting for Godot type year. What the I, I have been in the camp of, frankly, these forecasters who were t- were looking for a hard landing. It hasn't materialized. That's and now now you're in this very difficult position. If that was your prior to updating your prior or to just having been wrong on the timing and how do you gain conviction around one view or the other? I don't know. I think there's really strong evidence, frankly, in in both camps at this point. I, I don't know. I don't have. I don't have a great answer for you. No, look. I, I, I well, you, you certainly had, and and I did, right? I mean, I, you know, <laughs> declared defeat uh, on you know the recession call. All the data a year ago, all of it said meaningful recession, right? The yield curve inversion. I mean, the 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 oil prices. The I mean, everything you wanted to look at was was bad and that all kind of didn't happen and whether it is manipulation I'll, i will argue you know third and fourth quarter last year were manipulated by selling the spr okay that 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 was a nice that was a nice move i'll, I'll give credit that was that was a nice chess move um now you got the problem that you got to refill it at much higher prices that's going to look really bad and that that actually, if they were to actually refill it, which I don't think they will, because that would have to be a pretty big drag on GDP right before the election. So I don't know what they're going to do. But, you know, the first two quarters this year, even though they're stall speed, they're still positive, meaningfully positive. And especially first quarter, which is normally, <laughs> it's so funny, they do the seasonal adjustments, but they don't do them hard enough to actually get it to be a normal trend. So first quarter is always meaningfully lower and sometimes even negative. You're like, oh, well, it's just because of, of weather. Like, well, you know the weather's cold in first quarter, right? So you, you, 
you talk about seasonal adjustments, let's actually seasonally adjust, but they haven't figured that one out. Um, yeah, it's, I, I'm, rem- I'm, I'm remembering people calling the Biden mission administration a great oil trader because they were looking at the price where they sold and then the current price was like, yeah, but they just got done selling. <laughs> and now the market is moving back against them. Hey, so. Had they bought, had they bought six months ago, they would have been amazing. That actually would have been an amazing job, mm-hmm. but they didn't. And now, you know, price is materially that's a, higher. That's the classic risk of trading. <laughs> that's the classic risk of trading. Yeah. Right, if they just bought at that low price. Well, what it, what it is, it's, it's, the vast majority of trading stories you hear from human beings is exactly this. I woulda, but you didn't, right? Well, no. Yeah. But I was gonna. I, I was gonna. Well, I, that doesn't help. Gonna isn't doesn't doesn't help. You actually have to do it. So, look, I I keep coming back to um, the anecdotal stuff, which is. If you do any traveling, you know, airports are full. Now, part of that is they cut the number of flights, so it seems more full than normal, but but airports are full. Restaurants, pretty darn full. I mean, they're not they're not bulging. Um, although I was, I went to pick up my daughter in in Chicago on the way to the football game last weekend, which was very depressing outcome. One of the best football games I've ever seen in in uh, all the days I've gone. And the atmosphere inside Notre Dame Stadium last Saturday night hadn't been like that in 35 years. Not since we played like Miami and Florida State. And, I mean, it was amazing. So that was cool. But you can't have 10 guys on the field the last two plays. You just, just can't. I mean, you couldn't do that against a bad team, let alone a good team like Ohio State. So that was that was bad. But I, I picked her up in downtown Chicago in uh, in the north side. And I drove by this, this one, I picked her up at one restaurant, not on the left-hand side of the street, uh, near Russian Division. There was this line. Michael, I'm not exaggerating. Look, I'm, I'm a hyperbolic guy, right? But I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> this line was all the way down the block. And, you know, Chicago blocks are not short. It was a half block long. People standing in line to get inside this one little restaurant and I'm like, okay, that, that demographic, right? The young urban professional demographic is, is crushing it. They're, they're doing great. Um, I think there are a bunch of other demographics that aren't doing so great. And we've seen a lot of video about all kinds of that stuff, but um, although I have to, I have to say, and, and, and I hope he didn't really say this, but the Chicago mayor, uh, the clip this morning saying he's offended by the word mob and wants to, he, us to refer to them as large gatherings. I, what? I mean, when people do bad stuff, that's a mob, right? I mean, I, I, I don't know why you're offended by that. Don't People shouldn't do bad stuff. But anyway, I thought that was just bizarre. Changing the nomenclature because it... <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just weird. You know what I've been thinking about recently, not to digress too much into the, the social issues, but again, I'm shilling this pod. You can tell I've been just binging this podcast, but there's a podcast that I've been loving is The Rest is History. And I've been listening to a bunch of bunch I've of episodes. That before. I know. I know. I know. I'm a huge, yeah. I know you're a super fan. Reason. Someone, someone uh, and, and Blockworks I was talking to yesterday and she was like, yeah, if I... We we're talking about. I've I've been watching Foundation, which is a great show on Apple Pod. Isaac Asimov definitely definitely worth a, a watch. It's like yeah, you know, honestly, it's just a little bit heavy. It's very contemplative of kind of like the biggest problems with humanity, yada yada. Like if all I listened to is macro and sci-fi, I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. I was like, never have I felt so seen and attacked at the exact same time, because <laughs> like, that is literally what I do. Uh, but <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I mean, yeah. and, and and look, it's it's actually how I've lived my life. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I get that. I, I, I get that. I resemble that remark. Yeah. But I, you know, I was, what I was thinking back to is, so I've been, I've been listening to a lot of content, historical content around the, the early 1900s in Europe. And, you know, when you think back to that period of time, there were, I'm sure just a bunch of moderate, normal people, but the two political ideologies that arose in Europe were both communists and fascists. And whenever I listen, or communism and fascism, and whenever I 
listen to these sorts of descriptions, I think to myself, well, what would I have done? How would I have thought about that at the time? And I'm pretty sure I would have just been sitting there being like, I don't agree with any of this stuff. <laughs> you know? And that, and that's broadly how I feel today. I, 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 it's been, I don't know actually if I ever really felt like a politician has been speaking to me, probably the yeah, Tom Emmer right now is, yeah. is, is sort of the closest thing. But I, I just, I, I'm just looking around at the political landscape of the U.S. and broadly being like, I don't agree with with most of this stuff. But I also I'm I'm struggling to find a more productive way of just saying, I don't I don't really love this idea of just opting out. I'd like to engage somehow, but I don't know the best way to do that because I don't see my own viewpoint reflected anywhere in a meaningful way. If that makes sense, yeah, yeah, so I, I yeah. Hmm. Sorry. Um, look, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I'd much rather <laughs> throw up my hand and say, you know, y'all are dead to me because I, I, don't, I don't appreciate any of it. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, I've talked about this over in the past that like, I don't even believe there's a difference. Left, right, Republican, Democrat, bullshit. There's in and out. Everyone who's in is doing the same thing, trying to stay in. And they're being as corrupt and, and horrible as, as they possibly can be to, to stay in and stay powerful and increase their wealth. Um, and the people who are out are doing and saying whatever it takes to get in so they can get rich. So that's just a sad state of affairs. And to your point, I, I love the way you phrase it. They're not speaking to me. Like, I like yeah. this guy talking this morning. He's not, not speaking to me. I, I don't know who you're trying to convince. You don't look like you've even convinced yourself, even when you're, you're speaking the words. But um, you know what's scary, though, is how we march to these extremes over periodic cycles. And, you know, I don't know if we've talked about it on here, but you know, someone pointed out to me this, this Putin speech, and I watched it, and it's, it's in Russian, and, and uh, so you're relying on the interpreter, which or the translator, which I have to assume is saying real English words and not a made up narrative. And I figured if it was a made up narrative, somebody would have called him out and said, that's not what he's saying. But anyway, and, and he pointed to what happened in the Bolsheviks is what's going on in the United States today, Bolsheviks in 1910. And you start looking at it and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then you look at, you go back in history and, and you look at other bad regimes, and it's the same playbook. So it's like there's only one playbook. It just, it gets to the top and then people fight back against it. Then it gets to the top and people fight back against it. And it's a bad playbook. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for listening to On The Margin. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a very special offer that we have coming out of Blockworks Research. Now, many of you will probably be familiar with our platform, but Blockworks Research is the most blue chip spot to get research, data, governance, models, and a whole lot more about the leading DeFi protocols in the space. I've leaned on our analysts time and time again to explain complicated concepts going on in DeFi to me like I'm five years old. They can do the same for you. If you invest in DeFi or are just interested in it, it is an absolute no-brainer. As a listener of On The Margin, and to say thank you all for listening to the show, you can use Margin 10 for a 10% discount, and that gives you access to everything, which would be weekly in-depth reports, live data, all of that good stuff. So again, that's code MARGIN10 for a 10% discount. Link is in the show notes. Sign up now. Thank you later. Move on to the, uh, crypto here and talk about the e-futures ETF. I will say there's a great... There's a guy named Peter Turchin who the the lens at which he looks at history is sort of this this study of elites within society. And the idea I'm paraphrasing here is that when there's a surplus of elites is when societies tend to go through struggles because there when there's a surplus of elites, the elites begin jockeying uh, for for power, control, resources, whatever it is, and that tends to lead to that leads to a breakdown in cooperation broadly. And hmm. I, I and 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 then conversely, when elites are cooperate, I, I know that's not a that's probably not the most popular viewpoint because people probably don't want to believe that that's how it happens. But you can look you can look at a lot of you can look at a lot of very positive developments in history, and actually that it that is why that happened. So the birth the birth of democracy in Athens actually 
was the jockeying. It was kind of a Hail Mary pass <laughs> from one elite who was otherwise going to be forced out of power. You know, there are allegiances with other city-states like Sparta who wasn't didn't necessarily yeah. want or like that. And it was a, a Hail Mary pass to the people. The, tons of analogies there with ancient Rome. The Magna Carta. The Magna Carta was originally introduced because of an extremely unpopular English king. Um, and, yeah. and this sort of group of elites locally banded together and, and enforced something called the Magna Carta. The reason, by the way, why it's so airtight uh, is because this particular king, I think it was King John, and he uh, he was so good at getting around loopholes. And, and and originally they thought they were just gonna. It was like, okay, this is just for this one guy who's who's particularly difficult as a monarch. And then they ended up reviving it. It's just it's just interesting how this stuff works. Okay, I, w- I want to get onto the ETH futures ETF. I so I actually was on a a podcast yesterday saying, oh, it looks like this ETH futures ETF is gonna get moved up. Not thirty minutes after we got done recording. Valkyrie gets the ETH futures ETF. So, and I was, we were debating on, on before the show about whether or not that was going to be a good thing price action wise. And I was like, the, the voice of Mark Yusko is ringing in my ear here <laughs> because I, I know, I know I heard you say that it's not necessarily good. And you can objectively look back and, and CME, love our friends at CME listening to this. They do amazing work both in TradFi and crypto, but the launch of futures products through CME has tended to mark the absolute tops of spot price. So what's the reason for this again? Can you, can you walk naked, the- naked? I, I, I texted to, to pomp and Jason this morning, naked ETH shorts incoming. I mean, when you can go short an asset without having to own the asset, what what doesn't matter what it is, whether it's oil, whether it's gold, whether it's molybdenum, whether it's Bitcoin or now ETH, that's a bad thing because naked shorting is not allowed in traditional spot markets. And spot is, is not exactly the right term, but in the stock market, you're not allowed to naked short. Right? You actually have to have the stock in order to short it. And Same thing with a barrel of oil. In the olden days, if I wanted to trade you a barrel of oil, I had to have a barrel of oil. I couldn't just make up a little piece of paper that said, oh yeah, if I happen to have a barrel of oil on this date, I will get it to you. It's actually kind of BS. And and I get it that financialization has some positives, but paper futures markets have a long history of enabling manipulation and uh, they make a lot of money for the people producing the paper and destroy a lot of people on, on the other side. So maybe, maybe I'm not as big a fan of, of futures markets as, as other people, but what, what is going to happen is large institutions now can short Ethereum, the same way they shorted Bitcoin, November 21, right? Almost to the day, almost to the day of the peak, they approved the Bitcoin futures ETF and it got a billion dollars overnight. And everybody's like, oh, that's so great. I'm like, well, think about it. For every buyer, there's a seller. And guess what? There can even be more bigger sellers on the other side pushing that incremental trade the wrong direction. And and once that cascade starts because of high frequency and because of the machines, those machines will just start chopping the the the, the bids. And I, I it's just history says it's not a good thing for short-term price. History says it's not a good thing for free and open markets uh, because it allows people with large balance sheets to manipulate. And I use the term manipulate intentionally because they've paid massive fines. They, meaning these large institutions, have paid massive fines, like hundreds of billions of dollars without admitting guilt. I always love that part. How the hell do you pay a billion dollar fine, but you get to say, but I'm, but I'm not guilty. Just the, the fact that you paid a billion dollars says that you're guilty. 
right? I mean, otherwise you you wouldn't pay. And so that's just it, it's kind of like lobbying, not being put, corruption. Anyway, you can, can I push can I push back on that actually? Because sure. the way that at least in the criminal justice system that I'm a little bit more familiar is, you know, we it's like 98% of cases get settled out of court. There's immense pressure to settle. So you could see my, my biggest fear is being accused of a crime I didn't commit. Can you imagine how awful that would be? But I, would, I, I could imagine I myself in a situation where you're sitting in a room, the, the cops are saying, hey, we're going to offer you this deal, you know, X, Y, and Z thing. Uh, and, and otherwise, you go to court and face however many years in jail. In that situation, so in, that is a situation where I, I could see just admitting something. Or, but you, or you, like, I'll take this plea deal. Well, but I'm pay, still not I'll, pay, I'll take the deal. But that right, is, right. that's corruption, right? That's extortion. Well, if, okay. if you're saying, if you're saying, okay, I could take you to jail, but you know, if you pay me this, we'll just agree that you can say I'm not guilty. I, again, I, 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 I take your point. I take your point. And the system is um, complex and we don't have enough, well, self-inflicted. We don't have enough people to adjudicate all the cases. But if we didn't have some silly laws, I mean, like, let me just take the marijuana laws, right? How could there be people sitting in jail for marijuana that's now a legal thing? It's like, really? I mean, so... Um, if we didn't have to, if we didn't clog up the system with all of that, then we could probably have time to adjudicate the big stuff. And look, if, if a firm, and I, and I, I can name names because they, they did this, JP Morgan, if, if they manipulate the price of gold, right? They spoof the price of gold and they make $20 billion of profit, right? That's all public information. That's wrong, right? That's illegal. But then they pay a billion and they're okay. I, I don't think that's okay. And so the same thing is going to happen here. Not necessarily them, but it could be them. But somebody or somebody's are going to come into the ETH market now and they're going to get very short this asset because they have to take the other side of everybody who piles in long. And I just don't, I don't like it personally. Mm, yeah. So I, again, I, I'm not, I don't really understand the dynamics of futures versus spot markets. I, I will just say empirically, you can look at, you can go back and look at, again, see me, I don't, don't mean to call you out here, but you know, the Bitcoin, uh, there's just like the pro shares, you know, futures ETF is not good for, for Bitcoin price. There's a lot of other stuff going on in the market at the time. But not, and then um, the, I'm blanking, what was it in 2017, the product that, uh, was it CBOE, big, right? Yeah. The CBOE. Yeah. Um, and that was the, I mean, it was the, the day, December. Yeah, so the day. I know. Yeah. You know. So empirically, you could just go back and look. It, I, you know, people tend to look for, I think when we first got a Bitcoin futures ETF, it was, even though it wasn't the spot ETF we were looking for, it was some amount of institutional acceptance of Bitcoin as an asset. And once we got the futures ETF, the, the thought process was, I think, okay, it might not be tomorrow, it might not be in a couple of months, but we're probably going to get a spot ETF after this. And I don't know, with the ETH futures ETF, I'm, I, my, my honest reaction is this: that's great for Valkyrie. I'm, I'm rooting for you. I, I love to see any amount of institutional adoption. It's kind of a nothing burger for me. I, 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 we, 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 we had to get to Sinister Saturday at some point. Um, if you have a choice as the approver, as the regulator, as the gatekeeper, as the traffic cop, there are lots of applications for spot ETFs, and there's lots of applications for spot Bitcoin ETFs. Now, why are spot ETFs superior? They're superior because you actually have to own the asset. It's, it's like GBTC, the trust. It's not an ETF, it's a trust, but they actually have to have the BTC in custody, in the trust, in order to issue the shares. That's not what happens in futures. You can just say, yeah, knock yourself out. Go, go along all these paper contracts. I'll just make more. It's like the old Doritos commercial. Go ahead and eat them. We'll make more. And 
that causes an imbalance. And when the paper asset, when the proportion of paper assets relative to physical assets in any market, and you can go back and look at oil, you can look at soybeans, you can look at corn, you can look at, you know, any asset. When the paper ratio to, to physical gets out of whack, bad things happen. And, and it, it, it makes sense that a paper good printed out of thin air, wait, what, what are you talking about? Hmm, that happens in other markets, that, that currency, right? If you can print an asset out of thin air, it makes the value go down. And that is kind of what happens in currency markets. It's why currencies consistently go down and why we experience inflation. But what it really is, is a theft of your wealth through the devaluation of the asset you use to procure goods and services. And it was, I saw this, this Twitter war the other day. Uh, I'm never going to call it X, by the way. This Twitter war. Um, where two guys were trying to debate this, this construct that um, inflation is good for you. Like, uh, on what planet? I mean, really? Have you been brainwashed that badly? Because just think about it. If I have a dollar, and over a period of 30 years, that 2% per year, it's now worth 50 cents of purchasing power. How is that good for me? I toiled for a dollar and now I have less than a dollar of purchasing power. How is that good for me? Now you say, oh, but your income went up. Look at the history. For the average person, that ain't true. Your income goes up far less than your purchasing power is eroded. For the people at the tippy top, awesome. They all seeing eye, right? Those people love inflation. Might be why they invented it. I, so I'll, 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 let me push back on parts of that. So I think it's a balance, actually. I think people get a, so there's, there's, there are two dynamics here. There is being the issuer of the reserve currency, and then there's inflation versus deflation and sort of a balance there. And I just think it's more of a system of trade offs. So in, in the inflationary system, it's, it's an intentional thumb on the scale to get you more towards investing or spending as an economy, right? On the margin, what that forces you... What, nice. What the, uh, yeah. Very nice. What On that, the margin. What that incentivizes is you to put your money in assets like bonds, stocks, something like that, or you to spend money quicker. And the spending of the money quicker is generally a boon to the economy. So I, that has always actually made kind of good sense to me. Now, the the detriment of that is it disfavors a portion of the population that does not either have the option or understand that dynamic and know how to do that. So that's that's the issue there. Now, in a deflationary economy or it, with a deflationary money, this is where I like the the the, the what it, who it benefits is savers, right? Like if if you just have your purchase, if you have your your money, you're going to have the same amount of money or even more uh you know tomorrow than you do today. And in a lot of ways, that's good, right? The government doesn't get to sort of in this unlegislative way, redirect value around the economy based on, based on where they see fit. The downside of that is, again, on the margin, people buy less stuff. And what that means is on the margin, it's harder to start a new business, harder to grow a business, harder to create wealth if you're that sort of person. So again, I don't, I think people ascribe like virtuous, non-virtuous, good, bad trade-offs. Trade-offs yeah, between these things. It, 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 it's elegant. I like it. And I love the use of on the margin. So now it's like my goal going forward. I'm, I'm like the Leo gonna, meme. I'm like, we're always going to have to say on the margin <laughs> um, at some point in, uh, in, in the podcast. So, so here's the thing. It, it's an elegant argument. Very well played. But here's the problem. Um, yes, it's an incentive. Uh, to save or spend, right? If, if you turn the lever one way or the other, uh, if you turn the lever to more devaluation of the currency, you're incenting people to spend their money today and not save it for tomorrow. 
if you turn the lever the other way so that the asset is deflationary and actually appreciates in value, which doesn't happen very often in, in the real world, but does happen with things like Bitcoin, um, then you are incented to, to save. How about <laughs> the, the normal, the middle, which is we don't mess with the value of the currency and we incent savings or spending through free market determination of things like interest rates and return on invested capital. That's when things thrive. So like who gets to choose what should be incented? The corrupt governments, right? You can, with, you can write off your mortgage interest, but not your student loan interest, not your credit card interest. Why is that? Why is that? Social contract. The lobby, right? The lobby paid a lot of money to encourage home ownership. Why do we encourage home ownership? Again, that's an asset. Here's the crazy thing. That's an asset that if you get that asset in people's hands and you devalue their currency really quickly, in theory, that asset goes up a lot. I talk about this, according to Zillow, my house went up. My house didn't grow. Didn't get better. It's actually wearing out. I just noticed the, the paint's falling off the, the eaves on the front. I got to somebody fix that. So um, so what happens to a 20-year-old house. And it's just nonsense that it goes up, but it doesn't. The land, because it's scarce, actually rises because it's near things. And you think about it, just plenty of land in this country. Plenty of land for every man, woman, and child, and friend. And we could bring in all the people. We could bring as many immigrants as we want. We got plenty of land. Is not a problem with land. The problem is land near the stuff that we all, we all want to be near Applebee's and we all want to be near Best Buy. Okay, land near that stuff is more scarce. It's still not scarce. I mean, there's plenty of land around here. I but, like that. That off the off the cuff, two most valuable portions of real estate in your mind are determined by Applebee's and Best Buy. <laughs> I love that. Those are the two. I mean, <laughs> two that you pick. Look, I, I mean, you you could use Walmart and Target or a gas station or, or whatever, but but people want to be close to restaurants. They want to be close to you know consumer goods, schools. Um, but it's and, and so so. And the reason I say it is because you go to any community in the United States. Any state, any community, you drive in, you're seeing the same stuff. You're seeing the Joanne fabric. You're seeing the Burger King. You're seeing the, the Applebee's. And it's because, you know, humans are getting human. And we want the same thing. And we want to be close to them. And the further away you, you can have lots of land. You got to where your parents are in Montana. You got lots of land. Yeah. I don't know if you need lots of land, but, you know. Uh, I, I, I just picture you with the uh, Yellowstone hat riding on the horse when you go out there, but it's probably not the case. They're probably in a very nice community. Um, but you can get land if, if you want it. Um, well, except all the really rich people have bought up all the land, but, but there's plenty of land. And I, I just feel like when it comes to devaluation of currency, it's a plan. And I said, from 1776 to 1913, there was no inflation. The dollar was worth a dollar because there was no central bank. And it wasn't. And, and if you go back in history before 1607, there was no devaluation. There was no. It wasn't until the Rothschilds created the Netherlands Central Bank and then the Bank of England and all the other central banks around the world that's the era. And, and look, we grew up in that era. Right? I wasn't around in the 1400s, so I don't really know what it was like. And it was probably a pretty hard life. And, um, but I'm not going to argue that life isn't better today. It's like, mm. life is awesome. Uh, well, that's, that's what I would push back on. It's like, what was there back then? What, what there was was tremendous volatility, bank failures. That, it's like everything is a trade-off. I, I, I really believe yeah. like. So what, what the Fed does, you know, they're coming. So here's, here's a great story tweeted from our mutual friend here at Crossborder Cat, Michael Howell. So the Bank of England plans permanent lending facilities for non-banks. So they're shoring up the non-bank lenders, right? Insurers, right? Big problem with insurers. Mm -hmm. So, so, so what is the trade-off that's happening there? What's happening is there were some insurers who are probably forced to buy bonds that are getting bailed out. 
everyone is getting deep. There is some sort of debasement going on there. The benefit is that insurers don't go out of business so people don't lose their hat. And, and I think I, that is the, I understand why society makes that trade-off. Yeah, I get it. But I'm not the, agreeing with it, but I get it. But here's I, the problem. Yeah. Why are those people who made the bad decisions being bailed out? This is like the bank bailout, right? Iceland chose not to bail out their banks. Last time I checked, Iceland still exists. In fact, Iceland Air as a direct flight to Raleigh now, uh, believe it or not. I mean, like Reykjavik? Okay, fine, I'm gonna yeah. go. I'm gonna go one weekend. I'm going to Reykjavik because they're here. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but I'm going. And so Iceland didn't fall into the ocean. It didn't disappear. Oh, it'll be horrible. No, you, re- you, you restart. And you restart hopefully with good people instead of corrupt people. But when the people who are corrupt, who made the bad decisions, can then influence the people to bail them out, I'm going to argue that's a bad problem. And if you look at all of these people making the decisions. Yeah, I know. They all worked at the same firm. Uh, so, so here's. They so, all worked okay. at the same firm. That's La- crazy. So uh, where I'm not going to disagree with you at all. And these people that say moral hazard isn't a concern. I don't know how you could possibly say that it's not a concern. Of course it is. And as the, the, the trade-off that I see society has made is. We have decided to conveniently forget millennia of, of, of shared understanding of how money and debt works in, yeah. and, and, and accept this illusion that debt doesn't matter and that we can continually, continuously fund ourselves with this perpetual motion machine. I firmly push back on that idea. And I do think moral hazard mattered. And we have talked about on the show how I feel like the last 20 years, bad behavior has been, bad decision making and behavior yeah. has been incentivized. And that yeah. is, that is the downside. But again, you do get something for that. What you get is more security and a perception of risk. And there, this, is, this goes back to the Chris Cole thing. You can't eliminate risk. You can only transform it. And I think we broadly decided as a society to not deal with these shorter term blips of risk, but we've transformed it into this gigantic tail risk. You know, I invented that line. That is just getting big. I did not know that. So I should, I, I should I be giving you credit. Line. I give, I give, I give Chris Cole a lot of credit ago. for that. That no, no, I just I, I mean, he probably didn't, okay. but, but I've been talking about that for 20 plus years. That that uh, you know, risk is is like energy, you cannot eliminate it, you can just change its form. I can change I, I, heat energy into light energy, but it's still energy. And risk, I can change market risk into you know, stock specific risk or whatever, but I can't eliminate it. So, yeah, so I also do want to just push back a little bit on inflation didn't exist before the Rothschild. They, 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 there was inflation even in like periods like ancient Rome. So it, it is a phenomenon that goes back a, a while ago. And I, I would, what, all right, let me just, cause I, I have one more question that I want to ask you um, that I've been thinking about. Because they devalued about. by clipping coins. You're right. You're right. They did do that. But again, I will push back. Cause I've seen a lot of posts about Roman, like currency devaluation caused the fall of the Roman Empire. I'm sorry, guys. That is absolutely not correct. That was a factor in it, but there were many other things that caused the fall of the Roman Empire. But uh, I forgot my last point. I, I just want to move on here to this one this question for you that's going to sound very basic, but I've, I haven't gotten a great answer and I've been thinking about it and I think I have, I think I have one for you. Okay. Why is crypto so cyclical? So going all the way back to 2009, yeah. it's been a wildly cyclical industry. There are these four-year cycles. It's been a very compelling talking point, especially in the 2020 to 2021 cycle, that there, this four-year cycle isn't going to go on forever. And yet it looks like it probably will for the foreseeable future. So why, just on a first principles basis, is it's this- It's the socks, baby. It's the socks. It's the having. It's, it's hard-coded. This is amazing. I mean- it's literally hard coded into the dominant asset. Mm. And Bitcoin is the dominant asset. It's the largest asset. It's it's the king in in the you know the the analysis. And it's hard coded that if you cut the number of block rewards, again, barring the stuff we talked about last week, which is if you were to change the the cap, if if the cap is in place, if there's only 21 million forever and always and you change the number of block rewards, the price must rise or some portion of the miners go out of business. And you say, well, that, that, that can't just, you can't just foment that. You can't just make that. Well, but you can, because what happens is 
the person who's doing the selling, right, the miner, can choose not to sell, right? It's their choice. They can wait. And they can only wait so long because then, you know, the electricity bills do. Uh, and so in, if other people want that asset, they then have to bid a little higher. And the market equilibrates and it keeps rising. And so that is what hap that is what has happened at each of the previous happenings. Now, does that mean it has to happen every time? No, no. I mean, the market could choose not to equilibrate, right? I mean, markets do crazy things, but there's enough attention and enough activity and enough adoption that those incremental buyers who want to own this are met with a seller who's reticent to sell unless you give them a better price, right? So that creates upward momentum. Upward momentum, if we talked about this too, it's the caveman problem. I mean, hunters and gatherers. Movement, right? If, if someone walked behind me, I, I would look at them, right? I, I can't, it's not that I'm not interested in you. It's not that I'm looking over your, it's, I am hard-coded, hard-wired to look for movement. And that's what happens. And so then that begets more interest and then media comes in. And as I said, when the investors are there, investors buy things below fair value. Well, if the fair value increases because there's a, 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 a decrease in the block rewards, so if the, if the fair value uh, to make people whole rises, then investors are going to buy more because the price is below that fair value. Then once it starts reaching fair value, then the traders come in because they just love this movement and they can scalp and they can, well, then the speculators come. Remember, the speculators are just the opposite side of the hedgers. The hedgers are the people who are producing the coins. They have to sell, right? Not today, but they have to eventually sell to pay their electricity bills. So the speculators come in. Well, then the gamblers come because the gamblers see everybody getting rich. They're like, well, I can do this with leverage. And if there's a little bit of leverage in the system, you know, like reg T leverage in stocks, you get little parabolas. The problem is in a futures market world, you can get lots of leverage, right? You can get 100 to 1 leverage. Then you get big parabolas. That's, and, 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 but big parabolas lead to what? They lead to the price exceeding fair value. And eventually someone says, bullshit, now I'm short. And it starts to cycle again. And in stocks, historically, we had about a seven to 11 year cycle, depending on the business cycle. And you saw the same thing. In the early days, people were like, oh, bear market, I'm out. The investors, I like buying stuff for cheap. So they start buying, okay? Then you get closer to fair value and there's just lots of trading, just lots of activity. And then the media comes in. Well, then you get the leverage. The broker says, hey, I'll lend you money. And you go buy some more stock and you get the parabolic top, 2000, 2008, 2022, 21, right? Stocks went down, same reason, because they got over levered, too many speculators, too many gamblers. So anyway, that's, that's why there's a cycle. All right. Well, so, it's all about stocks. And, and we did not prearrange that. That's amazing. Yeah. We are on the same wavelength from clothing to, to topics. It's amazing. So one more question for you, because I agree with all of that, but I have an additional layer of, of thought that I've been thinking about. Do you think as, so Bitcoin dominance, not making any judgment on Bitcoin here, but Bitcoin dominance has been going down and down. Yeah. Other parts of the crypto ecosystem are getting larger. Yep. So if the primary catalyst for these cycles is the Bitcoin halving, does that decrease as we get further and further? Oh man, time? okay. I actually, I just realized that I'm late. So let's start with that next week. That is an amazing conversation. Cool. I that, have a lot that, of thoughts is, on this. And that's worthy of, of like real conversation because, and see, that's why, you know, I'm the comic relief and you're the muscle. You're, you're the, you're the <laughs> that's very kind. I mean, it's, it, it's so, no, it's, it's awesome because 
I said, questions are way more important than answers. I'll, I'll fill airtime with answers. That's what I love to do. I love to talk. But you fill the airtime with the meat, with the sizzle, with, with, I mean, that, that question is the question. And that's why we're such a great team. September 29th, folks, mark it in your calendars. That is the first time that anyone has ever referred to me as the muscle. So thank you for that, Mark. I appreciate it. Uh, Mark, best hour of my week, my friend. I will see you here right. next week. I'll see you All soon. Right, cheers. 